Welcome to the IP2 Podcast. I'm Shay Ashby, and as always, I'm joined by Felix Chung. We are honored to be joined by Eric Lerier. He was an early pioneer of flesh and blood in Canada and has remained heavily involved with the community to this day. Not only is he a successful competitive player, he is also one half of the Spark of Genius channel on YouTube, and he was one of the casters for this year's Canadian National Championships. Welcome to our show, Eric. Thanks. Uh, happy to be here. Big, big fan. Love the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. I know we don't have video for our listeners, but was that something that you're not used to hearing because you were kind of chuckling and smiling to yourself while Felix was introducing you? You uh, Competitive player is really not the logo I put myself on anymore. I mean, how competitive am I if I went to Nats and didn't play, right? Like, it's, it's, it's a matter of... Uh, it de- depends on how you define competitive, put it that way. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so uh, just to start off the interview, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Give us like an elevator pitch, kind of where you started in gaming and what brought sure. you to this point. Yeah, I started uh, card games in my, like most people in their teenage years. But I think in my teenage years, it was kind of like Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh were like literally coming it was like around 2000. So that's like the first Pokemon sets around here, the first Yu-Gi-Oh! That's kind of where I started into it as like a a late kid and then, you know, started collecting like everybody else. And then when I was a late teenager, I actually got really into Yu-Gi-Oh! I don't know. A lot of players come from Magic, but I did play Magic, but I'm actually more of a yu So is Rob for that matter. But was pretty big into Yu-Gi-Oh! for probably like three or four years. Went to like some regionals, have some like decent, like decent enough accolades for my my monetary budget at that particular time. Right. Uh, but that's, that's kind of where I, where I come out of card games, mainly Yu-Gi-Oh, but also some magic. Okay. Do you have any other hobbies outside of fab still? Oh yeah. I mean, if I didn't, I'd probably play more fab. I'd probably be better if I didn't have <laughs> any hobbies. Right. No, I, I like to, I like to do some, uh, we, we got a lot of hiking out in BC. I don't know if you guys, yeah. uh, how, how often you come out here, but oh, we're not that, we're not that far away, but we've got a lot of hiking, a lot of, outdoor kind of activities i like to do um I do play like board games and such and have people over try to do uh, different things like that but i play a lot probably play a lot of video games to be honest with you and it kind of yeah. modulates a little bit when i'm playing less video games i'm playing more fab and when i'm playing less fab i'm playing more video games and that's like probably that direct competitor mm-hmm. if i had to have one but um i think those are my main ones do you have a, a singular video game that you're playing right now oh man that's a great question yeah i'm playing starfield um, let's go and um i don't know if i have to wait through another lotus loading screen i'm just gonna stop like i, I i'm kind of getting yeah I, I like i love the concepts you know bethesda has had a ups and downs put it that mm-hmm. way uh but uh, i'm about 10 15 hours in and I'm, I'm liking it i don't know if i'll finish it but yeah. i'm i'm liking it so that, that's it, what i'm playing right now it, it is a, a bit of a slog to kind of get through the beginning portion of the game like i kind of want to say it starts to pick up at like 30 and 40 hours where the you have kind of access to the rest of the game because some of the stuff like the mm-hmm. ship building is sort of end game because it requires a lot of credits yeah so, i can see that but it's you're like the first person that we've interviewed that's mentioned starfield because like i've been on this really? starfield bandwagon for a while um and it yeah true to form it is a bethesda game and yeah, my computer I... crapped out just before it came out so i'd get like new hard drives and stuff and so the loading screens while are tedious and annoying they're not that bad because they're pretty quick for my computer so i'm kind of happy 
Um, yeah, that's fair. So if you had an older PC, I think it would it would struggle a bit more because they are quite frequent. Like yeah. you look in a direction and you're in a loading screen. <laughs> no, it's 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 fair. I mean, yeah, I like it enough to keep going, but like there's a lot okay. of games. It's a big year in gaming. Next yeah. year is also a big year in gaming, so it's tough to. Uh, Tough to play a game if you don't truly. It goes for Fab too, I guess. T- tough to like keep going at it if you don't truly enjoy it, right? Yeah. What's coming out next year? I haven't been following. Oh man, I know there's stuff when I looked at it, but there's also okay. and then it competes with like TV shows and stuff. I can't sit through movies anymore. Like I'm, I'm not even that old, but I just my attention span for movies has just gone to the shitter lately. I just, yeah. uh, I, I turned thirty, and my attention span halved, and then it just keeps going down and down. But, um. Mainly like TV shows because I got all the subscriptions. I got I got cable at this point. I'm not going to complain about that here. I'm not going to hijack your podcast here. But what's, what's the deal with like 20 different subscriptions instead of cable? Like I thought the idea was you get we're, one or two and that's it. I think we're coming full circle, you know, to when we had cable and then streaming platforms kind of came out. And everybody's like, well, I could just buy the content I want. And now you have, you know, seven, eight streaming services. You're paying the same for, as you would for basic cable now or premium cable. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of a, I don't know, it's kind of a weird thing. Bit of a wash, yeah, but there's, it is actually a circle. So that's that's kind of eating at the same kind of time here, but um, yeah. All right, uh, we're going to try to get back on topic here. So <laughs> let's, uh, Eric, um, your, your name comes up a lot when we hear about the first players to get into Flesh and Blood, not only in Canada, but within North America. So I'm very curious to hear how did you hear about the game and how early did you get in? When did you hear about it? Um, I first heard about it through uh, one of Rudy's video, uh, Alpha Investment. Um, I don't remember which one, to be honest. I think it was one of his early ones because this was back in 2020, I think. Maybe early 2020, like first quarter 2020. So it's pretty early because i think the game came out what 2019 like q3 q4 something yeah. along those lines so it's fairly early and i saw a video of him either introducing the gameplay i think i think he was like doing something along the lines of the gameplay um and then i was watching him do the gameplay and it looked pretty interesting and i'm not um i'm not usually super widespread with like buying into tcgs like nowadays like between then and now like 20 different games that spike and then fall to zero right but back then a little bit more wary so uh that was like the first exposure i saw from it on youtube and then i figured i might as well give it a shot and open a little bit of product because it wasn't wasn't stupid it wasn't owned by uh watsi so it wasn't stupid expensive or anything so i was able to get a box for a pretty reasonable price i think i bought it at um dual kingdom out in Barrie, ontario shout out mm-hmm. to dual kingdom they're the right. only store that stocked that product so it wasn't yeah. even in canada yet right so uh i bought some arcane rising because i don't think they had welcome draith in stock i had to buy that from the states um i bought a, I got, bought a couple boxes of arcane rising and then i cracked and this was uh april 2020 so this is very soon after it released i think um and i cracked a arknight skull cap uh coal foil from from a box nice. and i was like wow this card looks sick like the foiling on it is beautiful and i'm just like huh then the more i look at it the more i'm like hmm, i haven't felt this way in a while but a, a piece of cardboard <laughs> it's been it's right. been like over a decade <laughs> at this point um and now my budget was obviously not that of a teenager anymore so i was like all right i mean i don't really spend money on much i'm pretty pretty frugal for the most part 
So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll buy a little bit of that. And then I started accruing more like first dead product in the States. Um, pretty much in tandem with like Rudy talking. Like I thought that guy was a great mouthpiece for, he gets a lot of shit, but I think without him, the game would be like not even half the size in North America. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, there's no, no way. Um, so that's kind of when I started getting more seriously into it. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, in Flesh and Blood, like I'm, I'm pretty new to to trading card games myself, but I remember vividly the the first Cold Foil that I opened, and it seems like a lot of people that we interview, when we ask them what got them in to the game, they recall specifically the the first Cold Foil that they opened and what a deep impression that that made on them. I mean, for, for no one until you was in a first edition Skullcap, but uh, okay, well, we'll let you you're, have you're the biggest dating, one Dating there, me yeah. a bit, yeah. It's, it's, um, <laughs> it was the Skullcap, and the first walk of Jeraith box was a tunic, so I was oh, like, wow. I'm doing, I'm doing well here. So this I was like, this kind of luck. I should, I should just keep going. And this was back when like, tunics were like 150, 200 bucks. So you gotta, yeah. But yeah. I was just like, wow, people buy this card for this game that you can't play yet because of COVID. (laughs) So uh, I found that wild. So I just started like buying more stuff because I'm like, "Eh, it's cheaper than stocks. (laughs) So I I wasn't there at the time, but just like you touched on, this game comes out, it's called Flesh and Blood. It's really focused on in-person play. Then the pandemic hits. And at the beginning, we're talking about 2020. We have no idea how long we're, this is going to last like, mm. but here you are enthusiastically getting more and more into the game. Like what, yeah. like you, you mentioned that, that Rudy played a big part of that, but did anything mm. in the back of your head say like, this is actually all just going to fall off the rails? Like, or, or what yeah. was there anything else that made you more enthusiastic about the game? at yeah. that time? No, that's fair. Um, I did know, luckily, like the one country that didn't have super strict COVID laws happened to be the one that Fab was from in New Zealand, right? So we were able to say like, there were events, like definitely had a more competitive side to it, which interested right. me a bit. Uh, it wasn't just like a pure kind of more casual, like a lot of the games are more like collectible card games rather than actual, you know, competitive traded card games. Uh, I did end up, uh, there was one friend of mine that actually also got into the game and we were able to play at there was like one or two card shops that had open table area during COVID. Like there was a there is a limit on how many people could be in the store, but you were like allowed to use their tables. And so right. I think summer, summer 2020, something along those lines, maybe like early summer, uh, we actually met up a couple times and actually played the game um before they started locking everything down from like suburb to suburb. Um and so I kind of drove out and played it. And my very first game of Flesh and Blood was Bravo versus Dorinthia. I was, of course, the Bravo because that was the hero I started with. Of course, um, yeah. And I still remember like staunching him for 10 on a dory swing for nine, pumped twice. I'm like, this is great. I love this hero. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so from good. Arsenal, of course. So it was just like, oh, I've got I've got buffs. I'm like, I got staunch. Anyways, it's um it, I think I played after I played those games, I kind of doubled down. Because I'm like, wow, this is really great not being like land screwed or like land anything. Like that was yeah. the one thing that stopped me from getting more into magic, which helped a lot for Fab. It's like the resource. It was just such a well-designed game. It's just like mm-hmm. stupendously well-designed. Um, and so I think that combined with the game 
being alive in another part of the world combined with me actually getting to experience it a bit all kind of amalgamated in me buying more and more product. Not as much as I wish, but you know, hindsight's totally funny, right? <laughs> of course, yeah. Yeah. No, that's that that's awesome. And that that feeling of having that D react in Arsenal. It's great, um, right? When the Dorinthia's swinging in. Yeah, it's it's powerful. It's uh <laughs> I wish we could describe that feeling in so many words, but uh yeah, that's awesome. Um so in the early days of, of Fab. Like, I hear all these wild stories, like online skirmishes with hundreds of people, and like there's the the New Zealand server with a lot of trash talking, uh, and New Zealand yeah. versus the world, and all of that. I mean, this is probably way too much, probably need a whole documentary to cover those that year and a half period. But do you have like a story or a favorite memory that would just paint a good picture for those listeners that? weren't fortunate enough to experience the game or unfortunate enough depending on your perspective like to experience yeah. that that era yeah that was that was definitely a little while back at this point i guess um yeah. it i remember this one time in in discord we just got like invaded by a bunch of new zealanders call it call it a shit or something i, I vaguely remember the fab canada discord like just a bunch of new zealanders coming in Oh, I don't even remember yeah. why. Like, I don't particularly know why they all came in here, but it was either to start shit or they were being cheeky. And it's a different culture down there. Hey, you get it. They're very, mm-hmm. um, very sarcastic to a T anyways. But I remember we were just like bombarded with a bunch of New Zealanders that can't remember for love. Like, I don't know why they were there, but they were just like stirring up a whole bunch of shit, which was pretty funny to me. Um, which is interesting because in reality, even at the beginning, New Zealand's got such a tiny population. So being first come to the game and the game's there, it's like, yeah, it'll be the best for a little while. But uh, populate, you just don't have as many players as like these other big countries here. So eventually you're just going to get outclassed because there's just more people putting a lot more time into it. But I know for the beginning there, they were definitely kind of like the the ones you need to aspire to because they got like eight month, nine month time advantage on us. And it was just like, all right, well. Yeah, I mean, that's going to do it, right? But I think that was that's like the only time I can remember that it was just like really random. <laughs> New Zealand, yeah. super random. Middle yeah. of the night, too. The the invasion of the Canadian Discord server by New Zealand. That's that's yeah. pretty wild. Bu- that's pretty a bunch of them, too. Yeah, there was, I think there were some <laughs> accusations like rolling around. Oh, and they like came in to try to eat, set it straight, but like they did a terrible job because you know it's Discord. So I don't know the what they were trying, just like stirring shit up. Like, hey, yeah, it was those Canadians it was people, are talking trash on you. Yeah, it was uh, like Matt Rogers was there. There was like a bunch of like pretty like good New Zealand players or like names, and they're just like. Oh, I think it was an argument on Facebook or something that everyone got involved in, and it just came onto the Discord. I don't know, man. It was wild times. COVID, I'm telling you, drives people nuts. Yeah, everyone was a little crazy. Hey? Yeah, we refer to it as like the Wild West <laughs> of the Fab days. That's accurate. I can believe that. Yeah. Um, moving on, during our interview with Yuki, she gave you a lot of notability for understanding the game on a much higher level than most people outside of New, New Zealand very early on. Sure. What was your secret? How did you get to that level, like faster or sooner or like that high yeah. over everybody else that was getting into the game or even playing the game for 
six months at that point or whatever it was. Yeah, I mean, uh, I did play with a couple overseas people. I played some played some games. Um, honestly, I just played a lot, like an unsustainable amount of fab. Like I'm talking like. I don't know, season one skirmish, I played like 30 skirmishes or something like that, like something ridiculous. Yeah. Um, it, it was also on Fab Discord, like being able to play a lot more online, uh, whereas the people in BC either like didn't believe in Discord or didn't really know about the game or um, didn't really want to play it online kind of thing. Um, and I was like playing for people, uh, people from the East Coast, uh, people that, you know, were more into the competitive scene. So I was able to like ramp up a lot faster, but I think the time investment to stay at that level is just kind of, it takes, it takes to, it takes like not only the like drive and ambition to do well, but it also just takes the the time period. Like you need to have mm-hmm. the time to spend it. Like a lot of people just can't carve out time from like family time, for instance, to go play yeah. fab. So, so I think at that particular time, I didn't really have that many other commitments. So I was able to like just play like 25 skirmishes or like 20 in season two, like 20 skirmishes online. Yeah, there was a lot. There was a lot. And I was like, I was like, I was winning a fair amount of them. So it was just like the fact that they were getting me some results made me kind of want to play more and more and more, if that makes sense. Yeah. Did you have a partner or was there somebody that you were working with to? find success in those skirmishes at the time or did you just sort of have that advantage at that point above everybody else that you were playing with or against i wouldn't say the uh, i wouldn't say the advantage was so so big that i just like towered over everybody but it was it was uh definitely some of the east coasters out there and in toronto i know uh dante and yeah played a lot i mean dante played the only person i know who played more skirmishes than me was him yeah. Like 40, 45. That man was nuts. Like nuts, nuts. He really wanted that gold foil. Yeah. Um, and he was very good, obviously. Like he was top eight, like big events. And when he traveled for them kind of thing. So I played a bunch with him and then the group over there in Toronto. And that helped quite a bit. Um, and then just games from like some international skirmishes. Like the, some players in Hong Kong, some players in Singapore. Um, and they were like the best in that area, but also very good players. So I got to experience a lot of that, especially season one that made me a lot better because it's, it's one thing to like be people who don't know how to play here, but it's just like the, the, these, these guys are card game players. They come from other card games. Like they know what they're doing. Right. So that, that helped quite a bit. So you kind of chuckled at calling you competitive earlier in the episode. Do you still consider yourself to be like a high level player at this point, even though you're kind of slightly removed a little bit from it? I think, my main issues, I there's not a single hero I want to play competitively right now, which sounds a little odd, but mm-hmm. realistically, to get to that level, you need to be you need to start as a one trick, and that's kind of what I tell newer players. Like you need to start as a one trick, learn a hero in and out, and that's how you get better faster, yeah. uh, and then you can branch off. But the thing is, between the channel where I play a whole play, I play out every hero pretty much at some kind of capacity to be able to like do that limits the time I can play more into one hero and just there's not really any heroes that interest me enough to go deep I think the last time I really put in significant time was like PT1 where I like practiced a fair amount and by fair amount I mean that I was probably still one of the least practiced players at that event just because people were like coming with 
way bigger expectations from themselves and a lot more yeah. practice. So I still felt like I was like outclassed at that event. And I just, you know, I won enough to like make myself feel better, but it, it was a difficult event. There were no free wins. Let me tell you that. No, I bet. Um, no, everybody that was there, I can, I would imagine was like there with the intent to do as best as they can or, you know, ultimately yeah. win the PT because it, you had to work to get to the P, get a PTI to begin with. And I feel like yep. most people are trying to not waste that opportunity while they're there. Yeah. And it's the only PT that was not mixed format, right? So this was all CC. It's all CC. Uh, right. PT2 was mixed. Every other major event after PT1 was mixed, which was bad for me because I'm a limited player. So it was actually mm. not great for me to go into a nine round day one cc event five round day two or something like some six rounds something ridiculous like that yeah um so that was kind of the last point that i would have considered myself truly competitive uh if there's a hero i actually really like and really want to play i could probably bust out two three hundred games and probably get pretty competent with that hero but yeah no such hero exists at the moment for me fair do you still aspire to be a top player or are you more focused on other endeavors like casting or content creation I like to be more of a jack of all trades and kind of have my hand in everything, at least at some point, rather than be super deep into one because it makes it less boring. Because mm -hmm. um, you just grind out at some point. Even PT1 is just like practice for a month straight, like very, very um, long kind of days practicing the same hero and in and out of that kind of thing. Um, so it just keeps it a lot more varied. Uh, casting, judging, content creation, all that kind of thing. Uh, I still, I really like competitive limited, which is odd because that's that's the opposite of most people. Like mm -hmm. most people really dislike competitive limited. I actually very much like competitive. Like my, my elo is definitely sure shit better at limited, <laughs> and it's just like it's just something I'm just better at, and I enjoy. I love it. I love drafting. Yeah. I, I don't know why. I just do. Um, so it's a lot easier for me to get back into like mixed events or like full limited events, but. Yeah. So you've you've played on some big stages in the past. You talked about Pro Tour One, and I I do remember watching you on stream. Actually, if my memory doesn't <laughs> oh no fail me, yeah. <laughs> oh, it was a fun game. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. I got bamboozled. <laughs> That's all right though. So the the competitive aspect of um of Flesh and Blood. I mean, it sounds like it. Is this something that you can see yourself jumping back into if, if there is a hero that really resonates with you? Like, do you miss yeah. that being a player, like going oh, for yeah. the big cries? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Uh, especially now that it's mixed. Like all, all the big events are mixed. There, there are no like really major CC only. And I, th I think that's how it should be, uh, honestly. So I, I definitely do miss it. Um, I'm on like a pretty active team with right. like Yuki and Nia and a bunch of international people, um, the Stroop Waffles, man, what a great name for a team. But yeah, we, we got the story uh, behind that yeah, one. We yeah, like that. Yeah. that we one. like that one. You like that That's one so for Yuki? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. 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 Um, and they're all, they're all great. They're all like fantastic players. So if, if I'm, if I go deep into a hero, I, I've got a really great team to test it out. So I think I'm just, I'm just kind of waiting to be honest. Like there's stuff that piques my interest, yeah. but not enough to like jam 200 games and like ignore the sunlight for a month, you know, that, that kind of thing. What kind of hero would that be? Like when I think of you, I think about chain and I think about Lexi. Mm, like, I bet. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but what kind of hero do you think it would be to, to get you back in? 
You get you guys come from Magic? No. I mean, no. You guys haven't played Magic before, okay? No. There's a hero. No. Well, there's, 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 I mean, I come from like late '90s Magic. <laughs> yeah. Like, are you gonna talk to me about like scaled worm or something? No, no. There's a hero <laughs> called uh, Liliana of the Veil. Essentially, okay. it's black. Um, summons got a lot of like. There's very. I really like black and like black red decks in Magic, which are like. Uh, they do damage and summon. I'm I'm, I'm generalizing a lot. I'm gonna get shouted yep. by Magic players, but that, that's that's generally what they do. Um, if I can find some, man, I was praying Vincent would be like her and i i jammed a whole bunch of games and holy moly was i wrong it's like gimp to viscera but the point is <laughs> it's just a matter of finding that hero that enables me to do like i just want to summon some two two zombies as like a meat shield and then have a card that says like i want to blow up these zombies and do damage to you or, so, or some shit like that so like you a know? necromancer Yes, not like a necromancer, a literal. Uh, ne- I was waiting. Okay. I thought Vincent would be a, like a shadow necro. It's in the book. You know yeah. the little book. The what? Necromancer yeah. is in the book. I think I'm a lot of waiting. people are waiting for that. Yeah. Um, I I swear to God, if it's designed halfway decent, I will burn through that hero. I will find yeah. the juice. Don't worry about it. But right now, <laughs> Vincent was just a massive letdown. Holy moly! Um, it's like the artwork kind of fit too. But no, that's that's kind of what I'm waiting for. So is this more of a thematic thing, or is it more the play style of of having those minions? I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, more so the play style. Like I like Dromai because I like summoning dragons and doing stuff. I don't really like yep. the flavor that much of Dromai though, but I do like her mechanics. Okay. Uh, so something similar to that, I wouldn't mind. Uh, just with a theme more like a rune blade, I guess, or a shadow hero. I guess is kind of what, like chain or this. Well, this is not shadow, but you, you kind of demonastery, like a demonastery hero uh, is kind of like what I'm going for Okay, uh, as far as something I really can get behind. Because I feel like in Flesh and Blood, you really need to get behind both, in my opinion, to truly enjoy the hero. Like people who really excel at the hero, like the hero and the play style, like the cards and the hero, like Yuki and Lexi, right? Really, really likes the hero and yeah. and likes and likes how the hero plays, but uh, I think both are pretty important. Yeah, absolutely. And Yuki did talk about how, um, you know, liking the hero's, you know, aesthetic or story or or whatever yeah. gives you that connection can give you that extra boost, right? Uh, yeah. Beyond just the ones and zeros and the the text of the card. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, what's your favorite memory, just as a player? Um, just thinking back, like, would it be grinding out those numerous online armories, or would it be somewhere you've traveled and gotten a big result or just looking back you guys are going to enjoy that i say coming to calgary for road to nationals but that's probably the, the actual uh probably the highlight for me it was that was actually the first time i've traveled for a card game in a very very long time and i had a blast it was it was great over there uh was it bento was it that yep. that's uh yeah, yeah for sure go. so just yeah, that just, was a just blast. Just so all our listeners know, uh, the very first RTN um, that we had here in Calgary, we had people from all over. It felt like uh, come to to try try it out, and Eric here was the one that managed to take it down in the end. Again, just showing how much of a a better player he was than most of us back then. Um, but honestly, and l- thinking back on the game. 
uh, because we played in top four, I believe, and and you you beat yep. me uh, very rightfully so as well. Um, that was that was the event, probably like my fifth or sixth event ever playing Flesh and Blood. I was playing Bravo. I knew how to block, and I had seen some success against the chains that were were playing locally. And I just thought, man, this game is easy. All I have to do is block and prevent arcane damage. Like, you, you know, this game might not last very long. But um, Eric knew things like pitch stacking, like damage stacking, playing five-card hands. And these were things that it seemed like it took people more time to figure out and incorporate into their own gameplay. But yeah. just seeing that play out um, in front of me really personally um enhance my appreciation for the game um yeah i I think that's something that a lot of newer players really struggle with like yeah just just not playing four cards four cards four cards you know not thinking about the long-term strategy so yeah it's it's a it's a great pick um yeah i was trying to tell all the calgarians that you were the problem like and that we was, didn't have a solution for it. Problem. You you were gonna be a problem. We had no solution for for yeah, you. I only so. came twice and I didn't even do that well the second time. I think I like top four or something like that. I wasn't was like a, a job in a and a top four is pretty good for two showings. Yeah. Look, that was on Prism. Whole different issue. That wasn't my yeah. fault. Luminaris was broken. This, yeah, what am I supposed to was. do? Not play it? So yeah. with Felix's description of sort of that era of flesh and blood. Do you feel that players coming into the game the last couple of sets are going to struggle with those that concept? Because right now, I don't really feel like the meta goes to second cycle, especially mm. with like Oldham gone now. Do you think that's going to be a problem in the future? I think people really have that figured out anyways as the game goes on. As far as the meta goes, I think with Lexi LLing out soon, uh, PQ season will well, almost certainly will LL yeah. her because I still feel like she's the best hero by a pretty decent enough margin that mm-hmm. enough people will win. So once she's gone, it'll be tricky because Dromai is very much a second cycle, third cycle deck because that's just how Dromai works, especially the mirror. Yeah. Holy moly, that mirror. Um, but definitely a longer kind of deck. I think a lot of the prominent heroes still use like i mean bravo still like second cycles but like the mirror comes up dory can use second cycle for like powerful kind of turns so i think enough of the decks can use second cycle efficiently to win matchups that mm-hmm. it's going to be necessary i don't think it's gone i think when like Phi came up like stubby's five people just forgot because you just died in a turn mm-hmm. so there are definitely like pieces where yeah uh, until they like stop it running around and killing everybody there there was just like yeah you just either win or you die it's just like two turns but i think newer players might gravitate towards decks depending on what they come from what they what they know especially magic players a lot more like troll players mid-range players more aggressive players uh there's decks for kind of every every kind of strategy so i don't think it's going anywhere i still think it'll be important for the upcoming meta um especially like world's meta. I think it's still going to be important Uh, to what degree. I don't know. I think the game's at a reasonable pace right now. I don't think it's particularly fast Mm -hmm. uh, compared to what it used to be uh, with like bullseye bracer and Lexi, just like just killing you off like three of a kind rain, rain. You're just like, you're just dead. I'm like, Oh, cool. Nice game. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So with that not being a thing, I think the games will slow down because Dromai is not a fast deck and that is kind of the next best thing. So 
that that that's probably probably what will happen all right well let's move on and let's talk about community which is a big focus of our podcast and when we were talking with yuki a while back uh she really shouted you out multiple times for being a big reason why vancouver has grown so much and it has become such a such a strong scene nowadays uh so I'd like to actually start at the beginning here. Can you just tell me a little bit about Vancouver in general and what, you know, some of its strengths and weaknesses when it comes to starting uh, something like a flesh and blood scene, getting people interested and, and just take me through sure. the journey of turning Vancouver into the strong community that it is today. Sure. Um so Vancouver is tricky. It's it's pretty popular for Magic and Yu-Gi-Oh. I say those are the big games out here. It's like um, qualifiers for both. Pretty large scenes for for both of them. Um, well connected uh, at that point. One of our biggest stores is called Magic Stronghold for for a reason here. So it's it's pretty well entrenched. But I think the issue for Fab is that, or at least the issue originally for Fab is that it came out for better or for worse, came out during COVID, right? And trading card games anywhere, none of them had money to invest in <laughs> some random game from New Zealand, mm-hmm. uh, which is what most of them called. They, they thought it was like dead on arrival. And I don't really blame them. Uh, most of the stores that we talked to initially. Now, we were, or I guess I was lucky enough to to meet um, uh, one store owner from, from Infinity, Dylan, um, that was super hyped about the game like unreasonably so for a store owner um and he got like i think a but like he got some i think it was around monarch first edition that's kind of the timeline you're looking looking at and he really wanted to get the game he really wanted someone to like partner with like get the game entrenched um and so i kind of took took that role on to try to set up the online event community and to at least have a player base that might want to come in later on. Like Vancouver's tough because I feel most people are pretty adverse to online play compared to the East Coast, where I think there was a lot more on online play in the East Coast. Um, whereas a lot of people in Vancouver just did just were just allergic to Discord, or they just like didn't know it existed, or didn't know you could play this game all. It just was very poorly marketed, right? Um, and so, eventually, starting that as a predominantly like online armory kind of community uh, getting recognized by LSS as being kind of the premier store. We got like, we got an RTN season one. Uh, we were the only store to get uh, that. And we were running weekly armories, uh, renting out. Like we had to, I think it's like, we were such a small store. We didn't need to rent out a hall to do RTN, to do PQ. Like uh, similar to, I guess similar to Mento in that respect. Like yep. the store was not nearly big enough to run it. Whereas a lot of people had bigger real estate to run. Like this is a PQ or RTN or whatever. Right. Um, so it was it was an experience kind of just building it from there. And then once the first RTN season started, we, we had you know, 32, 34 people. I didn't know that many people knew the game existed. But people <laughs> came out just to just to like interject, like see what the game was about. Um without having to commit like a large amount of like time and resources towards it. Cause it was still <laughs> they, they thought it was a low stakes EA tunic on the line, they thought it was a low stakes event. Mm-hmm. Uh, little did they know, but point is they kind of realized that there was a store actually kind of pioneering it 
say pioneering it, but they were at least like blazing a trail, I guess. Right. So uh, we were able to do that and then eventually convince a couple other stores in Vancouver because Affinity's out kind of a, the burbs, uh, pretty, pretty far out of the burbs, if I'm being honest. But that's, that's not the point. The point is uh, we were able to make events tantalizing enough and valuable enough that we kind of like respected their attendance more than just squeezing them for every dollar they had, like other games do, right? So we were able to like form events around the community and what they want and need. And so after a long process of trial and error, I figured out the day and time and format that these people wanted and made that event and said, come to this event, I made it just for you. And people resonated pretty well to that. Uh, <laughs> you're just like tailoring shit for people that, oh man, people are babies. No, I'm just kidding. But it's <laughs> it's really, it re- but that was, what's, that was what was needed. Like in reality, like you needed to yeah. do that back then because people were just like super reluctant to get into this game from like magic players or like, they're not a very open, open-minded group for other card games in general. Um, so I think... It was a combination of being able to like form communities, communities specifically around their wants and needs and then letting it flourish by word of mouth. Other people figure it out, but they live too far. So they contact their store, vice versa. And that's kind of how we like ensure by like 2021, we were actually growing in the right direction. So I want to touch on that, that you said that you had tailored the event and uh, for the community can you elaborate on how you did that? So Felix and I have been talking about how some places it feels like it's kind of stagnant for player growth right now. So I I feel like this is a really key thing to, for people to hone in and maybe help this could help them grow their communities, even here in Calgary. Sure. Um, It was kind of two things. The first thing was a lot of like surveys and polls. So I, I literally went out, I said like, you know, what day are you most available? Like, what kind of formats do you want to, are you, are you most interested? What kind of time slot? The time slot really kills people. People got kids, yeah. people got uh, other other things they, they want to be doing. And the key is most stores are so, un, like, unflexible. That's a word, right? Stores are just inflexible. Like, is it inflexible? I'm tired. No, no, no. It's, it's like most, most stores are not flexible. Uh, they have their magic time slot. They've got like 20,000 different magic time slots and that's what makes the money. So that's what they do. And that's it. They, they, they don't like, they're, they're too afraid to move any mm-hmm. of this. They're too, which is fine. Like it's all you, you don't have to try, but um, you can't put fab on such a back burner time slot and day and expect people to be, Oh, thank you. Magnanimous card store for including us in your <laughs> weekly rotation. Yeah. Like the players just feel like they're, they're just like scraps. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't feel mm-hmm. great. About, like here, take my Friday 4 PM time slot. I'm like, what the, what the, what, yeah. what do you think I don't work? I'm like, well, I, I don't understand, but, but you'd be surprised. Like sometimes that's what it is. In a store that rad, like skirmishes at like 5 p.m. on a Friday in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, there's like four people. I'm, yeah, no shit. You have four people. Yeah. <laughs> um, so surveys, talking to people and kind of really coordinating with a flexible enough store manager owner and then putting in, and this is the second part is I had to put in a fair amount of time as a TO because I was a TO for like a year and a half, two years. Uh, for that store and I was you know running these events uh, getting feedback constant constantly building that kind of uh, repertoire between players um, 
getting more people involved. And that was the key personal approach because I was talking to people constantly about it and seeing like, what would it take for you to come out to an armory event? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes it's a lost cause. They're just like, you got to know when to cut the cord, which is fine. But a lot of the times, a lot of these fixes are easier than you'd think. It's just that you need to go out and ask. And I feel like stores just don't care. And so if you can act as the middleman and do it for the store, that's, that's how you do. You got to be the missing link. And so I was that link for a while and then it kind of flourished, Uh, but it's a lot of work. Like I did it because, you know, I love the game. I wanted it to grow. Um, I happened to have a lot more free time back then, but it's it's just and I had and it was a very enthusiastic owner about it. like he really really liked the game, uh, and he saw potential in it, and he believed in it. It's not something I could say for most store owners like they they don't care, and then a lot of them don't have to. It's it's a money game, right? But mm-hmm. that helps a lot if possible. Yeah, like um, just even going back to when you were telling your story, you use the word we a lot. Like we did this tournament or we got this many players, but you weren't an employee of the store at the time. It was a position that you took for the community. And Mm. I think that concept even doesn't click for a lot of people or people don't realize that stores actually could use the help of someone like a community representative or whatever title yeah. you you want to give to that role because like you said they're busy they have other events going maybe maybe the staff on certain days only know magic or pokemon yeah. or or whatever drives the majority of sales at that store but that's sure. not to say that they couldn't use the help of a someone that knows the community to do things like surveys and say hey does this time slot work or even something like hey we noticed that this time slot you have for magic or pokemon but it ever only takes half your store like can you set aside a couple tables for us like there's a lot of different strategies that people can use that they don't or maybe they don't feel comfortable talking to the store they don't realize that people are looking for their opinions and i'm just wondering like as you moved from the one store that was very supportive to maybe branching out to some others did you have to use any of those techniques or or i guess how did you sell the second store the third store in your community or once you got the first was it like dominoes that it became easier how did that work um, it wasn't definitely wasn't Domino's. I think the stores in Vancouver proper have a lot of different issues than the stores out in the burbs, just because you know rent's higher, um, your revenue per square foot matters a lot more in these kinds right. of stores, and so they're a lot more entrenched in the idea that if it's not profitable, they're not going to bother trying. So I think it's slower going. Uh, you really got to chip away and be like get a time slot in the first place, get people to show up, and prove to the store that. People will show up for this game, uh, buy product for this game. Not an insane amounts, but like at least show some kind of interest um, and kind of take it from there. It definitely didn't happen overnight for Vancouver stores. I think it took a while. And because I, I was able to do it with one store and other people were able to like help out with some of the other stores. I didn't. I did ask other stores, of course, but not to the same level. But other people did start to become kind of their own liaisons and try to get more time in those stores. And that's kind of how it worked with the two main Vancouver stores that run, that run the events, um, that run the majority of all, all the, all the events in, in Vancouver proper. That's kind of how that worked. 
All right. No, that's really helpful. And I, I mean, another lesson, something that, that I repeat all the time is like, by being a leader, you you grow other leaders. And it sounds like you blazed the trail for one store and yeah. maybe you you helped out some others and empowered them or gave them the template for what to do with their stores to get them. Yeah get them onboarded so it's like a positive feedback loop um yep. in that regard yep yeah it's uh it's amazing what happens when you listen to players i it's, I, yeah. well, I know it's a wild concept but you know <laughs> it, it's 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 something that people take for granted stores yeah. well, most stores don't give a shit which is fine like they're stored yep. they're they're businesses but like it only yep. takes one or two to break the mold to make the other ones realize that there's 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 money to be made if people like a game enough, you know? know. So would that be your top tip for someone that's trying to get the game more traction in their local community, or I guess even more broadly, if someone out there is listening and you know they're struggling to build their local community or struggling to get a better time slot from their local store i guess what general tidbit of advice uh would you give to that person i would say work with the store manager or store owner first and create that first link and then act as that link to the other people right kind of be a pseudo representative be able to relay that information because the store won't go out and look for it themselves they don't care most of the time, right? Um, they want to fill tables during the day and drive profit, uh, especially during non-peak times. So I would say try to look for stores that definitely you think have the space and capacity for it um, and then work from there. Talk to them, see what they can do uh, and then try to get either, you know, some get some of your friends, uh, if you know other people in the area, uh, it's much harder in some areas than others. Try to do like welcome events, learn to plays like cheap events, popper events, commoner events, stuff like that. Blitz events. I know those are pretty popular too. And and then kind of see what the community wants. You bring them out and then you get to be like, so you like this? You want to do a little CC, maybe a little draft action, like see, kind of see what it's feeling and then, and then take it from there. Building blocks. So I want to move into the battle hardened in Vancouver that's happening next ah, month. Yes. Do Wild. you, yeah, so obviously that's super, uh, I was gonna, cause I don't want to say it's exciting cause that's like a, that's a question I was going to ask for you. But anyways, um, do you consider this to be like a symbolic strength in the growth of your scene, um, to get a battle hard note there? You know what? Ask me in three weeks when we see how many tickets we've sold. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, I think it's. It's 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 two pronged here because the West Coast gets shafted like every mm -hmm. single time. Like I get it, no, as many people live out here. That's true, but still a lot yep. of people live out here. Um, I think it's interesting because they picked Vancouver over Seattle, which kind of boggles my mind because Seattle hasn't had any major events, and they're pretty big. Like there's GPS, there's Magic Jeep, like there's very big Magic events in Seattle, which is kind of like the first thing on LSS's mind are like where are the people going to go to these big events, right? right. Um, the Battle Hardened is not a small event. We've only had one of the Battle Hardened in Toronto, and that was a blitz of it. Um, and it was in a convention. Like you had to like pay the ticket price yeah. to get into the. It was it was wild. <laughs> um, and then and then pay to enter the event as well. Yeah, it was it was wild. But like this is the tr the first true Battle Hardened because this is like a you know CC main event and then a PTI event after right. So I think it's definitely symbolic that they're testing the waters. It's probably definitely um, going to be a test for them to see 
what what we can do as far as numbers, especially for the West Coast. Like California is a given, right? But like we're talking about like Oregon, Washington State, BC, kind of that that trail there, right? So I think that's important. Uh, I think the second thing is that Canada's population is just so far apart. I mean, you guys obviously know this. I don't mm-hmm. have to preach it to you, but a lot of people don't understand how, how like how big Canada is. The U.S. is big, but Canada is big and undeveloped. So it's like yeah. a little bit, a little bit difficult to just get your population centers together here. And so to make an event out on the West Coast, which is yeah, you know, it's close to Alberta, but other than that, you really do have to like fly a fair, fair distance to yeah. get here. So shows a little bit of trust giving us a battle horn to see that yeah maybe they could get like you know 50 60 people over for a good old time some beers some <laughs> cards uh i'm not sure what they're expecting to be honest with you but um they it's definitely a vote of confidence i know that yeah you uh you kind of touched on it too i've been kind of saying the same thing i feel like us out here in alberta and hopefully some people farther out east have to go to this event to prove to lss that we enjoy this game and it means a lot to us up here in canada so i echo the sentiment that i really want people to show i think we have a pretty decent contingent coming out from alberta um but what kind of what you're talking about i wonder if um like like you said it's a vote of confidence and maybe it isn't about the almighty dollar because they could have probably made more money you know going to seattle or something like that and and since it's only Canada's second major event, maybe it is them just trying to see, you know, get get a get their thumb on the pulse or whatever. Yep, throw us a bone. Yeah, um, it's it's also like all oh, all the nationals are out east. Like all all the major stuff is like probably going to stay out east. If I'm being if I'm being honest here, like if mm-hmm. we get a calling, that's going to be out east. It's all going to be out east. It's just where the most of the people live, which is yep. fine. Um, but. I think it is important to for them to understand that we have a lot of a lot of very good players in Canada and the talent here is quite real and we can develop and create new talents and it's a thing. But without mm-hmm. tournament like without battle hardens and events that people actually want to practice for and there's a serious prize for kind of thing, you're just kind of shipping them out. You're you're making them go travel to like places they might not be able to get to. So fostering local, more local talent through stuff that's not just like a pq or two every like three four months this is important i feel um so so it's nice that they were able to throw us a bone here so what role will you be playing in the battle harden uh i will be a judge for both the main event and the pti event um i would have probably liked to play the pti event honestly but i've taken like a pseudo organizer role kind of if that makes sense so i'm i'm yep fairly close to uh the store the like owner manager and the employee running it like i've judged their events before um they kind of trusted me to like form the team it it it, they kind of as like the liaison to lss so i've kind of taken that probably a little bit more than a regular judge's role but i would have liked to play the pti event because it's all it's all draft like that's my jam right there so i'm a little bit sad that i have to judge it but uh, i wanted to run right um, yeah, so sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna judge it, but yeah, that's that's what I'm gonna be doing. And I'll I'll be playing on Friday if you guys are out. Friday Super Armory, I'll, I'll play that one. That's draft, bright lights draft. Sure should I, be. I, up, I up think there. I'm missing that one. I don't know what time I get <laughs> it's in. Okay, well, this uh, is like we'll, 7:30, we'll so it's it's pretty late. Okay, but yeah, I don't know. So a twofold question. One, I already spoiled it. Are you excited for this? And 
further to that, what does it mean to you from being a member of the grassroots community to getting this battle hardened and being in the position that you are essentially running the event or being a big part of the organizing team? Yeah. No, for sure. I think it's, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. I'm, I'm pumped. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be wild. Like it's going to, maybe wild is a bit, not really the right word. It's, <laughs> it's going to be. Should we party up in Canada? In Canada? Yeah. Um, we're all just riding moose and no, it's, it's going to be, <laughs> it's going to be very, I think it's going to be interesting to see, first of all, how many people we can actually get to show up. Um, we are getting more and more now that we're getting closer to the events. We are seeing people buy their tickets, uh, get a better idea on how big we can get this event. I think if we can get like 70, 80 people to this event, I'll consider that a pretty big success. Okay. Um, all things because I mean, you know, Battleheart in LA is going to have 150 people, but California is the size of Canada. So, like, yeah. it's not really, not really a fair comparison here. Um, but I think if we can get like 70, 80 people, uh, I would call that a pretty big success. Um, I do think that. It will be very, it'll be very difficult to get other events in Canada if this doesn't go well, which I'm a little bit worried about, to be honest with you. Um, but I am still optimistic that it'll be that it'll be okay. Uh, one last question on the battle harden. Do you sure. what should we look forward to? Is there anything exciting that uh, you have planned or a little something? something? <laughs> The, yeah, the first all draft PTI event. I don't, there has never been an all draft P. You can look through every single PTI event. I think, okay, maybe like uh, one of the big ones or something like that. There was like sealed sealed into draft or something. Yeah. Um, there might have been one other battle hardened as part of like PT Leo, but I'm talking about like a straight PTI event. Uh, this is going to be all draft. Um, can't wait for, uh, I can't wait for the system to just crash multiple times while we're printing draft pods, but it's, it's, it's going to be pretty cool. I think. This is going to be one of the biggest uh, tests on bright lights as a, a limited format before right. Worlds, which is literally two weeks later. So I think it'll be a really good lit litmus test for people to come in and actually try to play draft as they think it should be, like try to solve the format, quote unquote, solve the format, whatever that means, mm -hmm. uh, before that. So I think that'll be interesting. Um uh, maybe I'll put up a big Canadian flag or a map for people. Uh, I'll try to, <laughs> I'll try to put some syrup out. Maybe I'm not, I'm not sure if any Americans would get out there, but yeah, I think it's gonna be, it's gonna be for people who've gone to other battle hardens. It might not be special, but I think for a lot of Canadians, it'll be like a new experience right. for them. All right. I want to switch gears and uh, talk about Spark of Genius. I think that's where sure. you're probably most famous for. Uh, for. Why did you and Rob start Spark of Genius? Man, I ask myself the same question every day. No, I'm just kidding. It's it's. <laughs> Is it Rob or the or Spark? <laughs> even better. Um, <laughs> we did some casting for our good buddy Steve at Red Riot Games, who was uh, organizer of the Canadian Nats, the one we we just casted on. Um, back back in like kind of the older days when there was like online major events. We did some casting for him because he wanted to make it a big, bigger spectacle, which was very respectable. Shout out to Steve. Um, and one time, the stream just, uh, the, the event just crashed. It was I don't know what it was, TTS, Discord, what have you, something crashed. And we were kind of in limbo for like two or three hours. And I'm pretty sure me and Rob just kind of like shot the shit for like literally two and a half hours talking about random crap. 
And the people were like tuning in for some reason. They didn't leave, which kind of boggled my mind. I'm like, oh, wow. People got nothing better to do than listen to us talk about like collections and like the origins. And that's what we were talking about, like the origins of fab and collections and stuff like that. Uh, some real boomer shit, you know? So yeah. people, people kind of enjoyed that, which I found odd. Um, and then I don't know who, but one guy is like, oh, you guys should start a podcast. So I'm like, hey, Rob, you want to start a podcast? <laughs> And you know, Rob, of course he's going to say, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, he, doesn't, he can't say no. It's, it's impossible. So uh, we're just like, all right, what do you want to name it? And we honestly couldn't think of a name to save our life because we didn't really want to think of just like some, some like, we really just had no good names. And so I, uh, Nia, one of our, I think he's been on the channel a couple of times. One of our buddies was just like, one of his ideas was Spark of Genius. So I'm like, you know what? We're both Dash players. Uh, mm-hmm. We both play up quite a bit of Dash. We could do some pun. I could do some puns with this. It's 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 nice. It's a good enough card. I think it's a like a very good card too. You know, you don't want to make it like yep. pommel. Like come on, you gotta you gotta like you gotta make it like at least a uh, a reasonably good card. So <laughs> with Spark a Genius, um, and that was a long time ago. I feel like two years ago or something like that. October seventeenth, twenty twenty one. Oh, you got the date. Perfect. Yeah. That's what two <laughs> so weeks we're coming from up now. on it. Yeah. Oh, man, we got to do another giveaway. Oh, we just did a giveaway. All right. I got, I'll think of something. We'll, 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 do, we'll do something. Yeah. Naming, naming is one of the hardest things. Like, um, like tough, uh, kudos huh? to people that can have fun with names. Uh, I usually like something that means something, but like, I think you picked a, a good, not only just a good card, but like the name is like, like you use pummel, for example, like what do you play off of just pummel, right? Like at least with spark of genius, you know, there's you can play off of that with there being uh, like new stuff, and there's yeah. there's a lot you can go with the, the direction of that, which I think is a really cool cool aspect of the name. Had you ever um, done any content before Spark of Genius? Oh God, no! It was like the last thing on my mind. So like I was, I did not think I had any time to do it. I I still don't think I have any time to do it two years later. But uh, I did. I wasn't even thinking about it. Um, Obviously, I consumed content. I'm not, I don't live under a rock, right? I do mm-hmm. watch not a ton of fab content, to be honest with you. Even back then, there weren't that many fab content creators. Um, very few, for that matter. Even now, there's really not that many. Uh, but I did listen to a lot of Session Blood uh, yeah. with uh, Kieran, Kieran and, and Carol. Carol, yeah. Uh, yeah. We actually we, we cast it with Kieran too back way back when i talked to him really nice guy i'm sure carol's a nice guy too but um <laughs> really nice guys out there but it kind of made me maybe think about i was like hey i think it'd be nice if we can it'd be a an interesting thing to do because i have zero experience editing script writing producing anything like i it's not a skill set i know anything about completely yeah. fresh and the first little bit was a pain like learning how to edit uh evolve our channel has evolved quite a bit um templating all that kind of thing so i kind of took it as a new experience and like a growth opportunity uh to be able to like put it under my belt that i can do it period i wasn't really looking for it to be successful per se i was just looking to see if i can actually do it and so that that was kind of where i was going with it do you in your own mind do you feel like the channel is successful Depends on how you define success. Um, well, I'm asking you. I don't know. 
to be perfectly frank with you. I thought I knew. I thought I knew. Um, And then I realized the difference in scope. And what I mean by that is that if you're a channel with like, you know, two, 3,000 subs, you got a Patreon, you got like a whole bunch of stuff and you've got to pump out content because that's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. You, you got to get like one, two, three K views on your videos. You really got to get your metrics, uh, a little dash, I got your metrics up. But <laughs> that's not, what, what I mean is that you've got commitments yep. from the channel, born from the channel. And that is not something I ever wanted to do. Like I told Rob, we're never getting a Patreon. Uh, we're never at, we're never going to ask people for anything in return for something to do for the channel. Um, it says, well, instead we'll just give away all our shit, but it's, it's a matter of kind of perspective time-wise, neither me nor Rob have any amount of any substantial amount of free time on our hands. Right. Um, so we knew we couldn't really get to that level. I mean, yeah, we can do a bunch more clickbaity titles like other people do and, and just do deck techs and, it's it's a matter of what we actually want to do versus what we think will be more quote unquote successful from a YouTube perspective. So I I think I have done most of what I wanted to do with the channel because it's already been two years. Uh, Now we're just kind of running with it. Like I had some goals and those goals are kind of have been reached already. So I don't know. We're kind of chilling. We're, we're doing it because we want to stay in touch with the game on a wider level, mm-hmm. not because we particularly love it. Uh, but, you know, me, me and Rob are pretty good friends. So it's uh, something we enjoy doing. It's, it's, it's no big deal. As long as it doesn't like eat away at like such a massive part of our life, then that's it. Cool. I appreciate the honesty. What keeps you going at this point if you've kind of reached the things that you wanted to do? Probably Rob. This is as weird as that sounds. There's, nope. there's been like at least four or five times where over the years I'm like, hey man, maybe we should just quit. <laughs> maybe we should just like, well, like sometimes we get a particularly bad video. By bad, I mean like it's doing poor even by our standards and I get a little dejected. It's just like, it's some, like our, our limited content is a really good example. I love limited. I play a lot of it and I feel like I have a competitive advantage being in Vancouver because we as a community play a lot of limited, Mm -hmm. very good limited scene out here. Um, And that's not something that people really give a shit about. Like, let's be frank here. Just 80% of the community doesn't care about limited, which is fine, but you can see even pro players are just like really, really are not high on the limited here. So when we, I, you know, I, I put, we put effort into producing something we actually really want to and then like get like 150 views. It's kind of just like, uh, maybe, maybe it's, it's a lot of effort to, yep. to, to put something like that out. So it's, it's stuff like that, that that has happened in the past. Uh, and then Rob, the, the beacon of positivity he is, just kind of shines like a golden retriever, shines a light, <laughs> just runs through the field here, gives me, gives me the bone. Um, and kind of says like who gives a shit what people think or what people um how many people view it or whatever or that like half of our comments on gameplay are just correction comments and be like you yeah. know what it's driving the algorithm who gives a shit right so i think it's a matter of doing it for the right reasons so yeah. once we kind of shifted perspective to that and accepted our limitations with neither of us know how to edit uh Neither of us are really pros and, and like there's a lot of channels that have people that are know what they're doing. They come from that mm-hmm. field. It's yeah. very tough for us to like compete, quote unquote, with that kind of thing. Well, we're not trying to compete. So 
I think it's like kind of a combination of accepting what the channel is and kind of producing content that surrounds something we actually want to put out there. If that makes sense. Something we think didn't something we think uh, fab needs more of stuff like, you know, gameplay, like mm-hmm. proper CC game. <laughs> not saying we're great CC <laughs> players, especially when we have to play like all the decks in fab, but um, just more fab on YouTube. Yeah. Cause there's still very little fab on YouTube. So that's kind of the, the main goal. It's funny to hear you say those things because from my standpoint, I very much echo a lot of it. Um, Felix is the man that says, who cares what other people think? We're going to put out what we think that we want to put out that makes us happy. Uh, he is also my beacon uh, to keep me going. He's the one that drives this day in and day out, which you need a beacon be here. He is the beacon. So I totally get it. It just it just matters if you like if you would watch it, like if I would watch my own content, yeah. like what I want to see. Right. And then if that's not something that I would feel particularly great about putting out, I'm never going to put a deck list at like, like I'll give you an example. Like we make best. They're, they're a funny channel. They're very yeah, good. Well, production. They're great. Yeah. Yeah. But not every deck can be S tier guys. Come on now. We yeah. Well, they're, yeah. That's their clickbait. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Which is fun. <laughs> no, but that's fine. But I'm saying that um, there are certain things that certain channels do that we can never do, but I understand why they do it. That's kind of what I'm yeah. saying. So we just set the most kind of reasonable standard for us and not really care about the rest. Yeah, that's good. Uh, <laughs> one final question. Um, what are some bes- behind the scene facts about uh, Spark of Genius that you can share with us? Behind the scenes facts? Yeah, like what do you do? What does Rob do? How do you what oh, uh, drives the content or who's who's driving Me. ship on? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't <laughs> don't tell Rob. Um, <laughs> well, he'll, I mean, it's up to him if he listens to this. That's true. Uh, he'll listen to it. Um, I do the ideas, this and the script writing for the most part. So I think about pretty much every video you see. I do most of the script writing. Um, Rob does the majority of the editing and the majority of like the, the production, the production aspects, all the thumbnails are Rob, um, all the spoilers or the, all of two spoilers. They were both Rob. Um, I'd say he's like the art edit guy. And I'm like Mm -hmm. the screen, uh, the screen idea guy. And that's generally how we keep it. I'm also kind of the intro guy, which we've, we've tried to record him doing our intro for like five different videos. He can't do it. I don't know why he just he has like 20 takes of the guy being like, hello, everybody, and welcome. To- Gone. He's, he's it's over. He can't. That's it. Um, yeah, I've struggled myself. No, it's fine. But like I, I kind of have it to a T at this point. So I'm kind of yeah. like doing most of the lead. Um, and I have more of the connection to the competitive side. So like I practice a, a fair bit more. Yeah. I go to events. I go to, you know, armories, PQs, RTN. So I bring that kind of piece also. The gameplay is actually like all free roll, pretty much. The scripts are mainly for uh, interviews. Uh, yep. A lot of the time for videos that like describe how to do something, like our limited uh, breakdowns of all the heroes uh, for like Monarch that we do. Those are all scripts. Uh, our top 10 card lists are all scripts, things like that. 
Uh, so it just helps with delivery to not forget any any points. Um, this isn't the main reason, but our gameplay is all free roll. Sometimes we're inebriated. It really depends, but it's <laughs> it's just more entertaining that way. Sometimes I'm usually kind of inebriated. I'm not gonna lie. Sometimes I usually drink before recording. <laughs> it just it's just it's easier. I'm not. It's easier. It just makes it more enjoyable. I just like yeah. you know people you know, crack open a beer, you know, draft like that. That's a great time to me. That's like ideal peak flesh and blood beers. <laughs> With a couple couple friends, draft with draft, draft draft with draft. That's that's great. You gotta. I'm a, I might steal that one. That's, 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 <laughs> I can't wait one. to see draft draft with draft on Spark of Genius coming up. Yeah, my one right. my one wish would be that we actually lived in the same stupid city. Because yeah, man, would it be easier to actually just like do everything in person? But you know, limitations are limitations. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's touch on something that you mentioned a little bit back, and that's Canadian Nationals. So yeah. we have had Steve on, and we just had Fred on. So yep. you are the trifecta of behind the scenes insights going through Canadian the gauntlet. Nationals, absolutely. Yep. And I guess my first question is, how did you hear that you would be working behind the scenes this year at Canadian Nationals? Uh, anyone who's like, anyone who knows Steve knows that man loves surprise discord calls. Holy moly. You'll be doing something. You'll be working on stuff. Like, boom, Steve's calling. Boom, Steve's calling. Um, and you know what? I love the guy, but sometimes, man, timing's bad. <laughs> it's really bad. But this, this also came a kind of a bit of a discord call just to talk about how the event was going to be run, uh, that man Sam was going to be producing it. Um, and that, that this was kind of like what he was planning on doing. Uh, I wasn't actually sure if I would be casting because I, I did qualify for it. So I could have just played it out. Uh, Rob was casting bef- like Rob was good to cast for sure. So it was just a matter of whether I was also good to cast. But I, it came down to um, I think the catalyst with him getting uh, Ethan, getting getting Mansant to produce it because it kind of put my worry to bed because every other Canadian NAS was produced by uh, a ghost. I'm not really sure, to be honest with you. It's, it's just the first one just didn't exist. And then the second one was kind of Jerry rigged halfway through, like no offense to them. I just don't think they really knew what they were doing, but we had this one. We had two separate mics, two headsets. We were already off to a great start here, but um, that was kind of what led me to be like, yeah, I think this is like a once in a lifetime opportunity to like cast Canadian Nats on a stream that I would be proud of being on. That that was the key for me. I didn't want to be on some like some kind of like half-assed production, if that, if that makes any sense here. So the minute he said that, I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm down. I'll, I'll give up playing. Well, I won't fully give up playing. I'll mostly give up, <laughs> I'll mostly give up playing. Um, but that that was kind of like where I where i signed on well uh i mean i wasn't gonna mention it if you didn't bring it up but uh, well we'll call it the eric maneuver um <laughs> playing one round of the event for prizing and then dropping <laughs> so you can hop into the casting Look, booth really I, maximizing I just, your ev i am an ev player through and through i have not <laughs> given up my cold foil prism just yeah. to cast for steve man i love the guy but um <laughs> It is, <laughs> uh, I won that game, by the way, just said, uh, 1-0, 100% win rate. You, but just, you just murked one guy. like I just murked one just guy. <laughs> Disrespect it, right here. I think because I played the first two nationals, 
I don't feel like I was um, missing that much. I also wasn't really super in tune with like any deck and like pretty like I could have just brought Lexi and been done fine. But I, I really, really dislike Monarch as a competitive draft format. I really love it as a casual draft format at Armory. Really hated practicing it for, um, for nationals. And I did because all my locals were. So I was playing a whole lot of Armories for draft. It just, I don't know, it, it began to be a slug. And I, I just actively didn't want to play six rounds of it. So it made it a little bit easier for me to to pick the the cast after each armory. Be like, oh, thank God, I don't have to play this at nationals. <laughs> totally understood. One final note: I I did ask if I could do the Eric maneuver as a judge because I also qualified, but uh, that is no way huh? for a judge. Nah, you gotta you gotta be there <laughs> yeah. all the time. No, no, no. <laughs> That's, That's right. That, that makes more sense. Um, luckily, yeah. we had two casters. We had three casters total, so we were able to yeah. pretty easily. Uh, put them on but eric mover is pretty 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 big brain if i do say so myself <laughs> yeah well, well well done maximizing that ev uh well that's uh that, that's good so did the did the experience of having ethan produce uh the stream this time did that live up to those expectations yeah oh yeah 100 percent. i've seen his stuff before obviously I, i've watched yep. a lot of the battle horns uh in the states um it's good. It's it's probably the best production value that I've seen for Fab. Period. Um, right. Honestly, not saying much. I'm not gonna lie. This game is still isn't still in its infancy as far as like production. Um, but like, he was doing better than SCG and Channel Fireball did by far. No screen tearing, different views on like the players, the hands, uh, good volume rec. Like he had it all kind of on lock, and that kind of proved to be. The same on like even Nats being being a bigger, bigger kind of scale as far as pretty much everything, really. So I was pretty I was quite happy. I did replay it, uh, of course, after after the fact. And I was pretty happy with the uh, overall production. No, that's that's awesome. And what were your impressions of the tournament itself? I guess. Have you had a chance to reflect back now that it's I mean, it's we're about a month out from it now. Like, what what's your thoughts about it in retrospect um i think that it was definitely the best run nationals by a very large margin i don't think there's any comparison whatsoever i think steve did an excellent job um running the event he had he had vendors he had two vendors which is already amazing because i could actually go well other than red ride itself but uh, I actually bought cards. People bought cards. It felt like an actual event, which in Canada re- it just wasn't a thing. Like Americans are just kind of scoffing, but I think yeah, you got to realize, are... yeah, we're we're in a bit of a wasteland up here, the, the, the Great White North. So it, it was it was great to see. Good haul, good comfortable. Like it was nice because I was a player and a caster, so I got like the 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 player perspective and the outside perspective, and both of it was great. I had way more room playing. The first nationals, I remember, I was shoulder to shoulder. Second nationals, I think some guy's mat was on my mat, and it's just everything was going, everything was going haywire here with the whole spacing. So I think Steve picked a good venue. He got, uh, you know, he got Fred, he got a great, great judge team. Uh, you, 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 Fred, the whole, the whole team there, really good judge team. It was run super smoothly, no like three, four hour waits. Um, and I think overall the experience was just kind of i don't i don't know a single person that had a bad experience which is saying a lot like that's that's quite impressive for him to pull off so 
overall, I thought it was just super well done. Yeah, and, and same thing for the stream. I mean, for both Ethan and yeah. all three casters as well. I know we had a lot of people tuning in back home and yeah, just just nothing but but great uh great reviews. And I, I mean, just tying this back to Spark of Genius because like you mentioned, both you and Rob happen to be uh casting at Canadian Nationals. Like, do you think this sure. is something that you could branch out to? Like, are you interested in doing more casting for I mean, I mean, not saying that Battlehearted Vancouver coming up will have a stream or anything, but like for future no. events, should there be something like that? Is that something that you could take that experience and branch off into, or is that not something you're not as is that something you're not as interested in? Uh, I am. I'm always interested in it. I don't think it's really interested in me, and that's not that's not like a self worth thing. That's more like there are already a lot of really great casters who like. Some of them do this for a living. Like it, right. it's very hard to compete with that. Um, and I'm not trying to compete with it, right? That's not really right. my goal. Um it it's something that I I like doing, but I don't think I'm gonna be that guy going for I wanna cast as many events as possible. I don't really have those kind of connections uh overall for those bigger events. And I think it's a lot well, I don't think my casting is from an analytical point of view. I think it was on par with the analytics for bigger casts. I don't know if the rigidity suits me as well as it did for something like Canadian Nats. Um, so probably not looking to get into more casting unless like a good opportunity kind of presents itself. But it was very fun doing it for Nats. I do still think it's like a... I'm pretty firmly in a belief that it's a once in a lifetime opportunity kind of thing to cast an event of that scope. All right. Well, I mean, just speaking for myself personally, if, if that opportunity comes up next year, I, I hope you, you take it maybe if, if that's something you're still interested in, yeah. is it like if this came up again, you'd, you'd still do it. I mean, if, if Necro is an out, yeah, maybe I <laughs> really like if, if I really, if I feel super comfortable with the draft format um, and I have a CC hero that I'm not going to like really hate myself for practicing a whole lot and I feel like relatively comfortable, then yeah. I mean, I season, uh, season two Nats, I went into the, I went into 10 game, I went like 10 games, 12 games on Oldham, <laughs> I went into the second Nats with barely any practice, like a little sub uprising here and I, I bubbled out of that one. So like if I had a little bit more love for Olden, maybe I would have done better, but it, it really does come to like finding your groove. So yep. would probably err on the side of wanting to play versus cast. I see. But okay. You know, maybe I don't qualify then you know, I'm free. <laughs> no. Fair enough. No, thanks. Thanks for, for all of that. And it's, it's great to hear you had such a good experience and, uh, no fingers crossed that uh, next year's nationals is uh is onwards and upward at least uh at least the in same quality if not better yeah. maybe uh maybe it's in calgary then it's there's like 100 bucks to fly over there man one can dream <laughs> no i'm gonna it, pay it, it could, bucks. Be. could be i mean hey we've we've talked about tos right and steve is a is, is a great to uh his heart yeah. is definitely in the right place but we, we've oh, also yeah. interviewed uh jared with scg right and, mm. and the operation that scg has is 
impressive. Like they have people that work on hosting tournaments full time. That's the yep. reason why the production value of the U.S. Nationals and all those callings and everything can be so good. I, I I would love it to be in Montreal. I don't know why it wasn't in Montreal this time. I mean, it's probably because, you know, Steve. Steve's not in Montreal. Like, you got to get someone on board to do it. But I, I think next year, yeah. yeah, I think next year it has to be in Montreal. Like, it's, it's just like, it doesn't make any sense. Toronto, Ottawa, Toronto, Ottawa. Like, come on, man. There's a lot of players in Montreal. Yeah. Like, they did yeah. real well at last night. And they're very good players did, as well. Yeah. Very good. Multiple in top yeah. eight. One of them was second. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. uh, I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, we've covered a huge range of topics here, Eric. I really want to thank you for spending so much time with us here. I, you know, it's always limited uh, for all three of us. But uh, do you have any closing thoughts or any shout outs or anything that you'd like to say? Closing thoughts, I think the. I think Fab, like Flesh and Blood is a game that to me has definitely broadened a lot of different horizons as far as like this TCG community, um, you know, giving me and a bunch of other people kind of something to do during COVID, like get together online and not like break off all communications and kind of interaction with other people like it provided a bit of a lifeline for for me at least um probably a lot of other people too so i think my closing thought would be if people are a little lukewarm on fab um they have every right to be from a product side but i think they should maybe open up to all fab has to offer if that makes any sense you know they're trying they're they really they really do care which is something i can't say out of any other card game like they care mm-hmm. james white cares um so i i would i would say that that's something for maybe a someone newer maybe someone who hasn't really delved as deep trying to get a little bit more into it uh i have any shout outs good question i mean the all the locals obviously in vancouver you talked to yuki already but pretty it's it's definitely growing in vancouver it's probably one of the densest competitive scenes that i've seen whereas like if I go in an armory and a new hero and I haven't practiced, I'm going to get destroyed. Like it's not that kind of armory. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely big shout out for them. Everyone kind of elevates each other. Very, very good players over there. Uh, not just Yuki. There's other players that do, that do pretty well over there too. Uh, but shout out to them. Shout out to like the Canadian fab community as a whole, very wholesome community. Uh, Matt, I love those auctions. But it's, <laughs> it's a very it's a very unique community, I would say. It's probably a lot more robust than people think it is. I think people think we're just like, I don't know, just like chilled in igloos, like playing play fab next to the fire or something. I don't really I don't really know what people every time like I ask people like what how do you th- how do you think we play up here? And everyone's just like, oh like in a forest somewhere and like, oh man, you're serious. But it's it's a very um interesting community and i i I think it's quite unique so shout out to uh everyone out there in the in in the fab discord just waiting to snipe an auction it's pretty great uh we got a bunch of snipers out in alberta oh i know i see this stupid little orange (laughs) tag just sniping me and just maybe see them typing i'm like ah i'm just gonna give up that's fine uh probably lastly to like any any you know spark of genius fans that also listen to ip2 uh thanks for sticking with us for x amount of time uh, i know i know you guys you guys stuck around for a lot man I, I still remember shay commenting on some of our earlier videos a whole bunch um yeah man so shout out to all our 
early and newer supporters. And uh, of course, Rob for dealing with my uh, my upswings and downswings. But you know, not everyone could be the beacon of light that is Felix Tuyushe. So I can only be I can only be half. I can't be whole. But uh, yeah, shout out to those guys. And lastly, probably all the other content creators. And Matt, I know it's a grind. I get it. You get it. It's 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 tough. It's, it's a super niche game. Let's be real here. Mm-hmm. Like the audience is so small where everyone thinks we're fighting for such a small population. We're, you're just you're just doing what you're doing, right? Everyone's got something that they can contribute and help grow the community in some kind of way. So shout out to all the content creators, regardless if you think people care, there'll always be someone that cares. So I'd say keep keep on uh keep on trucking. Unless it's all just like really random <laughs> clickbaity stuff. No, just kidding. Even <laughs> even that stuff is okay. Uh but yeah, just keep on kind of contributing contributing to the fab community at large. Again, thank you so much for joining us today. If people were to reach out to you, how would you like them to reach out to contact you? Sure. Um we do have a Twitter at Spark of Genius fab i think it's that spark juice fab holy moly i don't know if that's true probably be in the description somewhere but uh you could tweet you could comment on any of the on any of the youtube videos because i i am the one that does most of the comment interaction i probably didn't mention that one as one of the tasks here but i am the one that reaches out to most of the comments so you can do that too um you could ping me on discord i guess but <laughs> i wouldn't recommend it but I don't, I don't know if i'll respond or not but probably twitter or youtube is probably the best bet Got it. Well, thanks again. You can find us on YouTube, IP2Podcast, on Twitter, IP2Podcast, on Mastodon, IP2Podcast, at Wraith.Social. Thank you. Yeah, but now knowing that you write the scripts when you have gameplay content, now I know why you win as much as you do against Rob. So I don't even. I, I got crushed last <laughs> game because I couldn't read the card, and neither of us could read. TTS is not a great place to oh, man. not make mistakes. Let me put it that way. But um, 